Well, good morning, everybody. So good to see you. Sorry, I had a little bit too much coffee this morning, I think. My name is Rob Jacobson. I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm so glad that you're here. And some people ask, what kind of, co- what kind of a church is a covenant church? Uh, well, a covenant church is a church that agrees with the Bible, especially about relationships. We believe that the Bible says that relationships are good. In fact, it says that two are better than one in Ecclesiastes 4.9. And I totally agree with that, and I hope you agree with that. I think most people agree that two are better than one and that relationships are good. And I think one of the ways we can figure that out is how much we love to watch relationships. I mean, think about the number of shows that are about relationships. So let's just give a shout out to a little bit more of our experienced TV watchers. We'll start back in the 70s. So how many of you remember Sesame Street? It's been around for quite a while, but that's a show all about relationships and counting. Then we've got All in the Family. All in the Family is a show about relationships, family. We've got MASH. I can't even remember what MASH stands for, but I remember watching reruns on Nick at Night. That's about relationships. We've got Happy Days, of course, about relationships. And then my personal favorite, Little House on the Prairie, all about relationships. And that's just the 70s. If we go to the 80s, the, the relationships get a little different. In fact, uh, Ecclesiastes 4 in the Mr. T translation is exactly, I pity the fool who falls down and has no one to help him pick him up. All about relationships. Uh, maybe you remember Alf, alien life form. Yes, mm-hmm. he joins a family, all about relationship. Cheers. Norm. Yeah, see? Uh, another personal favorite, Chips. Chips, you know, Baker and Punch. The Cosby Show, The Simpsons, kind of two different families, but again, all about relationships. And then the way out there relationships, Star Trek, The Next Generation. But still, all about relationships. The 90s just make us a little bit more, they just get a little bit more strange. The, the relationships get a little bit more confusing. Of course, we have friends, you know, and are we friends or are we on a break and we won't go there. We've got Beverly Hills 90210, which is filled with relationships. Third Rock from the Sun, because we've got to do another generation of out there relationships. And then we've got to have uh, a, re, a retro remix. So we go back to the 70s for that 70s show. And don't want to leave out the kids. Let's just remember that Pokemon is really all about relationships to fighting relationships, but still relationships. And last but not least, Buffy, the vampire slayer, who needs help killing all the vampires. And that's just the 1920th century. Moving into the 21st century, I mean, it just gets a little bit more odd. We've got the Sopranos, Lost. I mean, you think that's not about relationships, but it totally is about relationships. They're trying to find themselves. Friday Night Lights, CSI, loved ones trying to figure out who killed their friends, The Amazing Race, competition, but we need others to help us win the race, The Office, no conversation needed, and Grey's Anatomy, and I probably shouldn't make any comments about that one. And then we can just get to the shows of today, because we're almost through this next decade, and we have The Good Wife, we have Homeland, we have Game of Thrones, we talk about relationships, we've got Sherlock, we've got Breaking Bad, which, which I know is over, but seriously is all about relationships, modern family, relationships, and uh, a secret new fabulous one for me, Mad Men, 
Um, so these are just today's shows that are all about relationships, because I think we not only think relationships are good, I really think we like watching relationships. I don't necessarily know if we like working on relationships. If you're not sure, uh, this one was viral just a month ago. It was one of those Dear Abby or Dear Amy columns. This is a, a, a woman who writes in to uh, get some help. Dear Amy, every year my sister, my cousins, and my cousin's sister-in-laws have a weekend shopping excursion in our home city. We stay in a hotel and we treat ourselves well and we shop for our children and we go out for lunches and dinners. You know, it's a great time to reconnect and deepen relationships. I have a sister, though, Betty, who we do not invite. You know, she is offended to the point of tears when she finds out that we haven't invited her. See, my two sisters and I are very close in age, but Betty, the one sister, hasn't been as close to this set of cousins as my other sister and I have been through the years. But there are several reasons that we do not include her. I mean, we're all married and stay-at-home moms, and Betty is divorced, working mom with one young child. And we know she doesn't have the same money for the outing, so we wouldn't want her to feel that awkwardness. And, And she doesn't have many of the same interests as we do. Her life is quite different from ours. You know, she's not interested in what we have to talk about and and we're not all that interested in what she has to talk about. She, she complains uh, about her ex-husband who left her for another woman, but we know that it takes two to tango, and she must not be without fault. And she complains too much about her aches and pla- pains and, and claims to have some kind of neurological disease that, that we feel is a little bit psychosomatic than real, and she uses it to avoid going to church on Sundays. See, we're all very active churchgoers. While she only sporadically attends services, I am not making any of this up. Plain and simple, she does not fit in with us anymore. And she takes it very personally. And last year, she even came to our home and uh, unannounced, crying about it, which upset my children and caused my husband to threaten to call the police if she did not leave. Now she barely speaks to me and has told our family that I am a horrible person, even though I've just been trying to help her. How can I get her to understand that perhaps she should find another set of friends whose lives and interests more closely align with hers? Sincerely, sad sister. How would you respond to sad sister? For that matter, how would you respond to outside sister? That's what I think I'll call her. She obviously appears to be outside of whatever the in crowd is. But here's the bottom line that I see, that I think our text shows us, is that Jesus uses relationships to give us God's momentum because God's momentum never grows when we live life alone. And now maybe sad sister is right. Maybe, maybe she just, just needs to get outside of that relationship and get another set of friends. Because Jesus does use relationships. He just uses 
certain kinds of relationships, ones that we'll actually see in our story today. See, we come to a story in Mark chapter 5, and, and it seems like time and space would tell us that, that this just doesn't happen anymore, that stories about demons and pigs and, and crowds being afraid, that's all just ancient history. But I believe that as we look at our shows today and as we look at stories like Amy and Betty's, that stories like Mark 5 are alive and well in our lives. But the good news is Jesus actually gives us wisdom in this story as well. So in Mark chapter 5, we read this. Jesus and his companions arrive at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus climbs out of the boat, there's a man that's possessed by an evil spirit who comes out to meet them. The man has lived among the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. When he was put there in chains and in shackles, as he often was, whenever he was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and he smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, He wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. You know, if Betty is an outside sister, this guy is way, way outside. In fact, he is so far outside that I would call him outside of out, whatever out is. And here's what I mean by outside of out versus outside of in. If you're a sports person, outside of in is playing right field in baseball. You know right field. It's not really necessary. No one actually hits out there, especially in Little League. I know because I got put out there quite a bit. I'm okay now. I didn't always get it put out there. But, you know, that's outside of in because you made the team. Because outside of out would be not even making the team. If, if it's in jobs, outside of in is, is not getting picked for that, for that promotion at work. But outside of out is getting asked to leave the company. In friendships, outside of in is when your group of friends are all talking and you walk into the room and all of a sudden silence and you immediately think they're talking about you. Outside of out is not even being invited to the party and then seeing it on Facebook later that night. And this guy is outside of out. That's what I mean by that. And, and this sister, you know, these sisters, there's two of them, there's three of them, but two of them get to go on the shopping spree with the two cousins, and one is left out. And she, how these sisters respond to the outsiders, well, they just avoid her. I have a sister, Betty, who we do not invite. See, I think when we're around people that are different than us, that, that are outside of whatever our in is, that it's just easier to avoid them. Sometimes we do this when we're in a hurry and we might see someone at the grocery store and we go, I'm going to go this way. Or we're at Target, you know, and we might not, you know, run around the aisle to not see someone. We, We have these strange people in our lives. Big Bird had one, you know. Everyone thought he wasn't real. You remember Mr. Snuffleupagus. Um, We might have an awkward coworker. You know, someone who just says really weird things. Or we just might have someone really weird in our family. You know, that guy 
or that gal. Maybe they're in your school or they're in your office. They're just a little weird. They're into weird stuff. Maybe they're, maybe they're you know, a middle schooler who still plays with toys or an adult that has an enormous Lego collection that you're a little concerned about. Or, or maybe they read military history instead of the newspaper and they you know, know every detail about the battles that happened in 1942. Um, or they just walk into a situation and they make awkward comments. If you don't know, just have a conversation with me. I love it. It's so much fun. Um, they're just a little out there. And their awkwardness puts an obstacle up. And so sometimes it's just hard to navigate. We don't want to hurt someone's feelings, so we just avoid them. We don't mean any harm sometimes by it. We just say things like, I don't know, they, I just don't get them. I don't know, they just, they just kind of rub me the wrong way. Sometimes we don't avoid the people because we don't get them. Sometimes we totally get them, but they're going through something that we don't get. So we stay away. Literally had a friend tell me that he was going through a really hard time, and one of his best friends knew he was in a really hard place, but he didn't know what to do, and he didn't know what to say, so he just stayed away. We avoid them. Imagine if Jesus had a Dear Abby column for this guy that we're reading about in Mark 5. Dear Jesus, there's a madman in our town, so we do not invite him. He does not have many of the same interests we do. He likes to hang out with dead things and dead people. His life is quite different from ours. We're not really interested in what he has to talk about. See, he complains about his aches and pains and the voices that are in his head. He keeps going on and on about the legion of demons or the Roman army. We know that what he's talking about. We can't let Rome hear this kind of talk, so we have to leave him alone. We have to put him out. You know, he even throws things and, and yells and shouts and, and doesn't keep a good dress code. He complains and cries out, my family was so disturbed, we had to move to the other side of town. See, we love to watch relationships. We just don't love to work on them. Because they are work. Relationships are challenging. We live in this culture that has shifted its momentum towards convenience. Think about the things that we throw away today. We buy new and we throw away and it's easier. When was the last time anyone saw a TV repair shop? They just don't exist. And, and I'm not knocking being a recycler. I'm just saying it's very, very hard to repair things that are broken these days. And my fear is that this idea from appliances and from the things of life has crept into our relationships when a friendship is broken how many of us have thought maybe it's just easier to let it go when we disagree with each other so strongly that we start avoiding communication for a few days or a few weeks how many of us just go you know, maybe it's just easier if, if we just let it go. If we just move on. Betty's 
sister said, she is offended to the point of tears when she finds out that we have not invited her. She takes it very personally and last year even came over to my house unannounced crying about it. How can we get her to understand that perhaps she should find another set of friends? See, when avoiding doesn't work, I think our world and our selfishness and our sin says, let's just discard them. Let's just throw them away. When relationships get tough, we have a phrase. We throw in the towel. Maybe you've heard that one. Um, oh, that's just a story from the news, Rob. Well, I'm, I'm with some college friends last week. I lived with eight guys my fourth year of college. And um, so those eight guys... Five of them, or six of them, were able to come out to a reunion last weekend. So we had 17 adults and 19 kids. It was this grand party. Um, I'm sure I made too many awkward comments. But one of the friends was telling me about how her mom has six siblings, and their mother was, was getting very ill. And so they were trying to decide if they were going to put her in a nursing home or how they were going to give her help. And my friend's mom, who's a nurse, says, you know, I'd like to take mom. She sets the six siblings down at the table. They were all near the area. They're all within two hours of each other. She sits them all down at the table and she says, hey, I really want to take care of mom. She's not bad enough to put in a nursing home full time. Um, I, I'm a nurse. I can do this. I want to do this Monday through Friday. I will do this Monday through Friday until, until mom is not with us. But I'd really like it if the six of us could rotate could rotate taking care of mom on the weekend. And, and I'll do my, my sixth weekend rotation. Could we do this? Every single one said, no thanks. And I, I'm not here to try and make you feel guilty. I'm saying our culture and our sin and our world naturally slides to avoiding and discarding. Avoiding and discarding. And, and we, we do this. And, and, and when we get to this point of saying, oh, I'll just throw it away or I'll just throw in the towel. Jesus, in his time, they had a phrase when this happened, when they had these thoughts. They said, into the sea with you. The sea was like this giant, evil, powerful garbage disposal. Nobody understood environmental laws. They're just like, when I throw it in the ocean, it just disappears and I don't see it anymore. So they had this great big Mediterranean Sea and for them that was the ocean. And so they would say, into the sea with you. Jesus says, you know, uh, if you have faith as big as a mountain, you can tell this mountain into the sea and it will go. You can throw it away. You can not need the temple anymore. Um, the Romans, the, the secretly, the, the Jews of the day and the, the Palestinians and the, the people from Assyria, they would have this thing of into the sea with the Romans. Get rid of them. Throw them away. It says in verse 5, day and night, this guy wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with stones. If you understand the, the, the language of the day and the culture of the day, this guy can't be further outside of out. 
the Gerasian region, the writers, if you read the other Gospels, they can't even agree what the town is called. Is it Gagadgeries? Is it Gerasenes? They just called the Decapolis these ten cities that are east of the Jordan River, and they are not in the Promised Land. They've never been Jewish land, and Jesus would never go there. No Jew would go there. By the way, they're pig farmers. No Jew would eat pigs. So bacon lovers, pork chop lovers, I'm smoking some meat this afternoon for Father's Day. No, you can't do that. You, you do not do that. Out. The, the cemetery, dead. Jews can't touch dead things. Out. Outside of out. The, the, all the details of this story are trying to get us to see that he's not just outside of in. He is outside of out. Jesus goes across the lake. This is another time he's gone across the lake, as we've looked in this series of momentum. Jesus is like, no one will follow me here. See, how do we respond to outsiders? Well, Betty's family avoids her and discards her. I think our culture avoids him and avoids these people and discards these people. I think we naturally do this, even when we don't want to. But how does this guy feel right now? Day and night, he wanders among the burial caves and in the hills, which is the wilderness, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. Have you, ever, have you ever talked to someone who self-harms? Who cuts to release the pain because they're so numb from all the voices? Maybe you're not into demon possession. Maybe you don't think that happens anymore. But there are voices that we hear inside of us and outside of us that tell us we're worthless or tell us we're stupid or tell us like our superpower is awkwardness. And we start to wonder, does anyone care? And then we have situations like sisters like Betty's sister. Why can't you just get a new set of friends? It's just too hard. And then we have situations at work. Sorry you didn't get the promotion. I'm sorry your job's being eliminated. And then we have situations in family. Well, we just can't come home for this or... Sorry, this is going to happen. We can't always be fair. And these voices just start to creep in. Let alone that there is real evil in the world. Let alone that there is a spiritual enemy of people that are Christian that can give oppressive and possessive voices. This guy is in a living hell. I think you would agree as you read the text. The community around him has labeled him the demoniac. They've, they've kicked him out of town. They've restrained him. They've locked him up. They've cast him out. They would probably throw him into the sea, but what does the text say? He is too powerful. He overpowers them. And where's his family? Because at the end of the story, Jesus is going to tell him to go to his family and go to his friends. Where are his friends? Where is his family? It's Father's Day. Where's his dad? Jesus, though, verse 6. When Jesus, 
was far away. When Jesus is far away, the man sees him and runs to meet him. Even people that have appear to have no hope, even people that have voices shouting around in their head and voices outside of them, even those people see Jesus in a distance and think maybe, maybe, some of them, church, some of them, see a sign. Kind of a cool sign, you know, I think. Well, misshapen squares. Maybe those people are not quite perfect. Maybe those, they're little little spaces in between some of those icons. Maybe, maybe those people are just a little broken too. Maybe, maybe I'd fit in there. Maybe there'd be a, a place for me. Some of those people say, maybe I can find Jesus in a church. I did not be called to this have any of us act like the sad sister if we ever do that if i ever do that please please come and kick me in the shins we do not want to be people that avoid and discard yes relationships are challenging yes we'd rather watch them than work on them but by golly when jesus comes to the scene in this story he runs to meet him. And what is Jesus' response to the outsider? Because we already know what our response is, and that isn't giving us much hope. But what is Jesus' response? He talks to this person. He sees this person. He meets with this person. There is hope. There's a chance for healing here. The whole world could be different in this moment. And Jesus responds. And people will come to this door, and they will come near, and they might come here. And we have the chance to be Jesus in that moment. What are we going to do when someone is distant and far away and they walk through and they might see Jesus? And Jesus uses relationships to get people into God's momentum because we can't live life alone. It just won't work. And Jesus knows, like this story, and probably Betty's story, and likely many of our stories, that there's way more going on here than just Betty not being invited to the Chicago trip or wherever it is. There's more going on in this guy's life than just that living in the tombs. And there's more going on in our lives. And so Jesus sees him. Jesus meets with him. Jesus talks with him. I don't know if you're going to encounter people that are oppressed or possessed. I'm sure you're going to encounter people that are abused. I'm sure you're going to encounter people that have been harassed. I'm sure you're going to encounter someone that knows what it's like to be outside even of their family. And we have a chance to be like Jesus. And what does he do? He makes room for them. He invites them into a conversation with the disciples. He brings them hope and healing. 
For us, that might just be inviting someone to church or inviting someone to our home or inviting someone, if we're a student, to a student opportunity or take care's offer and, and invite, be invited over to their house for a fellowship dinner or go outside of our normal routine and start a conversation with someone that we avoid at work because they're a little weird. It says in verse 7, with a shriek, the demoniac screams. Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For he'd already said to the spirit, come out of the man, evil spirit. And Jesus says, what is your name? And he says, my name is Legion. There are many of us inside of this man. And the spirits begged again and again not to be sent out of this region, this outside of outside place. And there happened to be a herd of pigs feeding on a nearby hillside. Send us into the pigs, the demons beg. Let us enter them. And so Jesus gave them permission. And the evil spirits came out of the man, entered the pigs. And the whole herd of pigs, about 2,000, plunged deep down into the sea with them and drowned. Now, before you call PETA, if you have had voices in your head for as long as you can remember. If you've been cast out of the society, if you've been living among the tombs, how would you know that what Jesus said actually happened? I bet if 2,000 pigs threw themselves into the sea, you might know. This guy knows he's been healed. And what do we see in the story? We see the herdsmen running away and running to get people from their town, people running out to see what happened. By the way, it's very late at night. It might be early in the morning at this point. I think about that song we sang about the rising sun, about who Jesus is. And we see a man who is gathered around Jesus, and he is in his right mind, and he is sitting, and he is clothed, and perfectly sane, and they were afraid, but this guy wasn't afraid. This guy had been brought in. This guy had been clothed. The man who was naked in the tomb, self-harming, is now right with God, because there's more going on in the story than just what we see. And I know some of you are probably thinking, because this was my thought, I don't think I have that much power over demons, and I don't know if I have that much time to sit down with all of the hurting people in my life. Our culture has shifted in our pace so much that we race through our time. Remember when we didn't, well, maybe you don't remember when we didn't have electricity, but we didn't have to work when it wasn't light. And, and now when we have cell phones and we have laptops, before that, we had to work at work. And before, you know, we really understood the World Wide Web and the Internet, we didn't think we had to compete in a global market. See, all of these things aren't bad, but they've all not given us more leisure. They've given us more time to produce. And in our production, we have lost relationship. See, Faith in Christ plus great relationships will produce miracles. Faith in Christ with great relationships 
will produce miracles. See, there's a bigger story going on. It says that the man is clothed and seated and sane. Now think about it. What happened on Good Friday? Jesus sees a man out on the hill in this story. Someone who's far out. And what does Jesus do? He meets with him and sees him. And the man who's naked and, and demon-possessed and, and out of his mind becomes in his mind and clothed and not possessed. And what happens to Jesus on Good Friday? Jesus becomes naked. Jesus becomes beaten. Jesus, his, in his mind, has become so disoriented that he feels completely abandoned. See, Jesus knows how to deal with demons. I'm sure some of you know more pain than I can imagine. But I know this. Jesus takes all of that, all of that, upon himself. And he is killed on a cross. He is sacrificed for us. Because the relationship between us is not really the issue. It's part of it, but the relationship with God is the issue that Jesus is trying to rectify. And he restores us in that relationship. And when we're restored in that relationship, we see that he gives us the power over the evil, and he actually could give us the time if we were to trust him, if we were to take it. And so that's what happens on Good Friday. And Easter reminds us that we have the power and that we have the ability to, in the name of Jesus, deal with our demons, in the name of Jesus, to overcome evil, and in the name of Jesus, to actually stop productivity, to start relationship. He says to this man, stay here. At the end of the story, he is tells the man who begs to go with him, stay home. Tell the good things that God has done. Go back to your friends. Go back to your family. Stay here. Make room for those people that didn't make room for you. Stay here. Speak the word. Tell the good things that God has done. You know, churches aren't perfect, people. They're not. And yet, if we stay in a place, even when it's hard, we're transformed. You know, there's statistics that show when, when a couple in a relationship is going through a hard time and the couple chooses to stay in the relationship, sometimes they have to stay for five years, but if they stay for five years, every one of those couples has worked it through five years. That's a long time to stay, but they're transformed. Jesus says, stay here. Don't be like the sad sister, by the way. I kind of like dear Amy's response as we wrap up. Dear Sad, first, let's establish that I agree with your sister. You are a horrible person. Mm Mm-hmm. Applause. Yeah. Obviously, you can do whatever you want and be with, in with whoever you want or cast out whoever you want, but don't get this idea that you can blame the person that you just cast out for not fitting in. The only way your sister would ever fit in is if you made room for her. And you seem quite unwilling to do that. And that's your choice. But being upset with her is complete, or her being upset with you is completely justified 
and you'll just have to live with that. Perhaps, this is the best part, perhaps this is something you can ponder from your church pew, because despite your regular attendance, you don't seem to have learned much. Stay here. Stay through the challenges. If you have a relationship that has obstacles, stay in it. Work it out. Yes, not just watch it, but work in the great relationships. Make room for people. Make room for those that are hurting. Tell someone, if, if you are someone who needs healing, if you are someone who is hurting, tell someone, we will make room. If you have a kid who's just running through, we will make room for you. If your pastor takes a vacation this summer, guess what? Stay here. I'm just trying to figure out how to make room for all of you. If you're having trouble in your marriage, stay in it. You will be transformed. If God heals you, stay and tell us. We need you to make room for us. Get baptized. Stay here. Tell what God has done. Don't be like the Sadducees. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for a story about demons that can still speak to us because so many of us have evil voices in our head and evil voices outside of our head that will tell us that we're worthless, that tell us we should give up, that tell us that relationships are too hard, they're not worth working on, and we should discard them. But Jesus, you tell us to see people and meet with people and make room for people and see your love in them and see your spirit in them and see your image in them. God, I pray that we would stay near and here to the people around us to give your spirit to them. We need your spirit to do that, God. For those of us that need to be healed of our demons, God, we ask for your healing. Jesus, be Lord in our life. We trust you to take the evil. We trust you, even in the midst of people that aren't perfect, to help us be healed. Because that is your story. And that's a story that will, will change people's lives. So change us. Amen.